Right. So um, we are starting a new series today uh, on the book of Philippians. So we're actually going to be looking at uh, this letter that was written by Paul to the church at Philippi. And um, I was actually, uh, I was reading something this week that um, was the experience of, uh, well, it was in this book, and uh, it was experience of this woman who was sharing about kind of what she had gone through. And she was sharing uh, about how when she was younger, she was raised in a wealthy evangelical church. She kind of did the whole she got into the whole fad of like wearing WWJD bracelets and she kind of had this experience of yearning for something um, like to live a radical lifestyle for Christ. And so she went out from her comfortable, uh, you know, Christian kind of uh, circle in Texas and um, she shared that, uh, she, you know, she writes this, I was nearly 22 years old and had just returned to my college town from a part of Africa that had missed the last three centuries. As I walked into church, I bumped into our new associate pastor and introduced myself. He smiled warmly and said, oh, you, I've heard about you. You're the radical who wants to give your life away for Jesus. And so she said uh, she felt really uh, pressured by that and burdened by that, this idea that she was seen as the kind of quote-unquote radical Christian. Now, she shared, okay, so she went through that whole experience. She came back. She was kind of living it out. She wanted to do a lot of different radical things. And then later in her life, uh, after spending time in various radical Christian, quote-unquote radical Christian communities, Warren began to wonder if ordinary life was even possible and this was her testimony. Now I'm a 30-something with two kids living a more or less ordinary life. And what I'm slowly realizing is that for me, being in the house all day with a baby and a two-year-old is a lot more scary and a lot harder than being in, war in a war-torn African village. What I need courage for is the ordinary, the daily, everydayness of life. And I think that idea is something that a lot of us can uh, relate to. You know, particularly in light of the things that are happening in the world right now. Coronavirus is going on. There are all kinds of, I think, injustices that we are being made aware of. There are all kinds of changes that have happened in our lives. Um, just disruptions that have happened from our normal life. And oftentimes, when we look at what it means to be a Christian... I think we want to go out and run out and, and, and radically change things. You know, we want things to be radically different, just thrown upside down, to run away to some place and to just live there for Jesus. In some ways, that idea is a little bit easier. It's a little bit more glamorous than just living our everyday lives. Now, um, in an effort to really understand what it means to live for Christ. Now, in this, this series, Philippians, it's called To Live as Christ. Because in this book, Paul famously says, to live as Christ, for to me to live as Christ, to die is gain. You know, Philippians 121. Now, don't get me wrong. To, to be able to say that and to actually live by it. To say to live is Christ. Like that, the entirety of my life will be defined by Christ. 
will lead to an incredibly countercultural, radical lifestyle. But it will likely happen for most of us. It will likely happen in the context of the normal, everyday life. It's a hard thing to reconcile. You know, what does that actually in the day-to-day look like? Like, how do I think about that? And kind of what does that look like? Like, how can I be engaged in the things that are happening in the world? How can I be engaged in certain causes and care for certain people? And at the same time, uh, live my everyday life? You know, what, what do we need to grasp onto? What ideas do we need to hold on to to be able to do that? So that's what we're going to be looking at uh, in this series. In this series, uh, some of our, and, and so a couple reasons that we're going through it. One, we want to understand what it means to follow the example of Christ, how that plays out in our day-to-day, in our interactions, in our families, in our churches. Uh, what does it mean not only to live for Christ, but to have Christ as the very definition of our lives, to be able to say to live is Christ. That's one of the reasons that we're going through this series. But another reason uh, that we're going back to, well, we haven't done this in a while, but we're just going to kind of go through the series verse by verse uh, or go through the the, ver- uh, the verse, go through the book verse by verse, uh, is because we want to be able to see the beauty and the power of God's word as we just sit under it and go through it. And so, um, that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. That's kind of you know we're going to see the introduction to that today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter one. Verses one through five. This is the this is the entirety of the text for today. Philippians chapter one, verses one through five. And this is God's word, and it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay. Now, actually, this this is just an introduction, right? This is the way Paul starts, you know, all of his letters. Um, But there's actually so much packed into here. Okay, what we're going to look at first is really just the first seven words. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That's how the letter begins. Now, the the Greek word here for servants is the word doulos. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that word. It's a word that means, and it's, it's a little bit hard to define precisely for us because it's a word that means something kind of like it can be translated slaves or servants or bond servant. And uh, none of our modern comparisons exactly, I think, captures the word because when we think of slavery, we tend to think of kind of the African slave trade and like slavery in America, which is not exactly analogous to what was happening in the first century. And when we think of the word servant, I think we kind of think of like, 
like Alfred or something, you know, like, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne's butler. And it's kind of like a wise old snarky dude who says, you know, calls his boss master, but doesn't really think of it that way. Like, do you know what I'm saying? He's like a sidekick. Like, that's not really the idea of servant either in the first century. Or like, I don't know, Alice from the Brady Bunch. It's like, you know, this just person who's part of the family who lives with you, who also kind of like is the maid or something like that. Like, that's not really the idea. It's certainly uh, a second class citizen. It would be something who is giving up kind of their rights and who actually is owned by the master. Although there wasn't kind of this necessarily this racial component, um, you know, that that we are familiar with in America. So, uh now, this is noteworthy. Even the fact that he uses this word is noteworthy because Paul usually refers to himself as an apostle. So in nine of the 13 letters, Paul includes this word apostle. And I actually want to look at it a little bit. So if we look at Galatians, for example, this is one of the times where he uses the word apostle. Paul, an apostle, and he actually emphasizes this, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he's kind of, he's emphasizing there, I'm an apostle, you know, which, you know, I'm this, this sent one from God. I'm this commissioned one and I have this message. I'm this, and it's not through men. It's not from men, but it's through Jesus Christ, right? Verse 11, it says, for I would have, you know, brothers, we skip down a little bit. I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about his own testimony and he's saying, Hey, I'm not just saying these words because I want to, I'm not just saying these things that it's not like I thought this stuff up. I have this authority. He's pointing to his authority and he's saying it comes directly from Jesus. Like I was on the road and I was called from Jesus, you know, by Jesus. And in verse 15, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, again, he's saying I was called even before I was born, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he's saying, as soon as I received this call from God, from Jesus himself, I went and I delivered this word. I didn't go to anybody to get my approval because it comes from God himself. So he's pointing to his authority. And that's usually how Paul uh, introduces himself, right? In these letters, there is a certain formal greeting. He's like, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now here, however, it's, it's Paul and Timothy, you know, servants of Christ Jesus or slaves of, of Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, why does Paul do that? Remember, this is his chosen title. This is the way he chooses to introduce himself. If you could introduce yourself in any way, how would you do it? You know, and just think about like your social media bio. Like what does it say on there? Right? Like what's – or your email signature. Do people use those? I think I still use one. But, you know, it's like what does it say to describe you? Sometimes people actually use – you know, it's like I'm a medical professional, you know, whatever, mother of two, lover of pizza, you know, coffee snob, whatever, right? It's like we have these things, Laker fan, you know, go Dodgers. Like we have these things that describe us, that say who we are. And Paul's signature – 
for this letter, you know, not his signature per se, but like his title is slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he identifies himself. Now, mind you, that's not his actual calling, which is to be an apostle. That's not his actual job, which is a tent maker. It's the way that he chooses to identify himself. Um, I heard on this thing that like, uh, I saw this interview with um, Donald Glover. You guys know who Donald Glover is? Childish Gambino. And um, it, was, it was how he, I think it was like actors interviewing actors or whatever. And they were talking about how he got that name, Childish Gambino, and he was telling the story about how basically the way he got it, I don't know if you guys know this, but the way that he got it was from a, a Wu-Tang uh, Wu -Tang Clan name generator. So apparently there's this website you can go to, and you put your name in there, and then they give you a name. You know, it just, it just makes a name for you. And I tried it, and my name was Oculus Crane. <laughs> which was yeah cool so you guys can call me oculus crane from now but you know like uh so that's like for paul it's like that right it's like this is his chosen name it's his chosen title like his rapper name you know like doulos yesu christu that's his you know in greek that's how he chooses to identify himself slave of christ why like, what does he want to convey by saying that? So let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 7. 1 Corinthians 7, 22 to 23 is what it says. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So what Paul wants to convey is the idea that he aspires to be, he wants to be not his own. Like he understands that in Christ, he has been purchased by Christ. He is bought and owned by Jesus. And when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he's like, if you're a slave and you're called by Christ, then actually you're free in the way that it matters. And if you're free from men when you're called, you're actually a slave to Christ in the way that it matters. To be a slave is to be bought and owned. And that's why I'm using the word slave in, you know, slaves and saints in the title of this message because I think that actually more closely, it's not exact, but it more closely accords to the idea that Paul's trying to get across. If we are Christ's, he is the one who has purchased us and owns us. And that's not something that Paul is saying in a negative way. He's saying, this is who I aspire to be. This is how I aspire to be known. Now, the, the, the key to this is this word, doulos, that's the Greek word used here. It appears uh, only one other time in Philippians, and that's in... Uh, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. And it's in the, this, this description of Christ, which is really the central um, part of this book that we'll, we'll look at later, but um, not later today, but eventually. But here it is. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I think I confused you, Isaac. We are going to read it right now. <laughs> but verse 7, 
It says, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So right there in verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And that word servant, translated servant there, is the same word used in the introduction, the word doulos. So Paul then wants to identify himself as an example of the very thing that he's trying to teach in this book, that he aspires to follow Christ into servanthood. And that's furthered by including Timothy in the introduction. Because we're only on the first seven words here. But Timothy, he says, Paul and Timothy. Now, why is Timothy mentioned in the introduction? It doesn't make sense because Timothy didn't write this. You know, Paul, in fact, throughout this letter, he uses I or me or my over 80 times in this, in this letter. And he only uses we, uh, you know, the, the plural, uh, the plural singular, only a, a handful of times. And it never refers to him and Timothy. So why include Timothy in the introduction when Paul is the one who's writing the letter? Now, Timothy also figures into the letter, though. So let's look at Philippians 2. Timothy appears in Philippians 2, 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. He says, I have no one like him. I have no one like Timothy. You know of his proven worth. There's no one like him because he gets outside of himself and thinks of the welfare of others rather than his own because he cares more about being a slave to Christ rather than to be exalted himself. So we're going to go through a few points um, even just here in the intro. But right here, even in these first seven words, Paul reveals the purpose in his writing of this letter. And it's to produce people like Timothy, who he himself aspires to be, to live as slaves to Christ by living for the interests of others rather than their own interests. Right? For us, we should aspire to be like Paul and Timothy, slaves to Christ. We should aspire to be slaves to Christ. We should desire to be identified that way. Like we should want that to be what people know about us. We should want that to be our title. Now this is in direct contradiction to every inclination, everything preached that you will find in the world. Do you guys remember like uh, the, the Lego movie? The first one? There's been two, right? Um, but the first one, if you guys remember, so it's about like Emmett, his name's Emmett, who is like the most ordinary um, 
person? Can you call him a person? A Lego man? Is the entire Lego universe, right? He's super boring. He has like the most normal hair. He's got the most normal job, like the most boring. He's like a he's like the an Uber normie, right? Like he just does normal stuff. He drinks the same assembly line kind of you know, coffee as everybody else. He listens to the same assembly line, pop music, you know, as everybody else. And this is supposed to be presented as so obviously sad, right? Like when you watch the movie, you're supposed to feel really bad for him because he's so normal, right? Like that's the, that's the point. Like to have a normal job and life and style and music preference is the worst thing in the world that you could possibly be. This is the lifestyle of lifestyles to be pitied, to be condescended, to be completely unfashionable, boring, ordinary, kind of like tasteless person. What is ultimately the message of the Lego movie? It's easy to pick out in the Lego movie because um, they he literally he literally says it basically. But at the end of it, so he says to Lord Business, you don't have to be the bad guy. You are the most talented, most interesting, and most extraordinary person in the universe. And you are capable of amazing things because you are the special. And so am I. And so is everyone. See, the aspirational goal of most people in society is to be the special. The most special person. To have people recognize that you are the special, the chosen one, the one to fix it all, the one to perfect your field, to conquer your industry, to redefine, you know, art or parenthood or, you know, whatever. Christianity for some people. According to the Lego movie, not that we get our philosophy from the Lego movie. That's what we should aspire to be and to do. That's all we need. Uh... To realize, oh, if I realize that I am the special, I'll be happy and I'll win and everything will be good. And, you know, what's not included there, I think, is the idea that if we actually think that way and adopt that philosophy, we will live our lives trying desperately to prove ourselves to strangers for respect and honor and points in a ledger that no one who matters to you will ever see. Or, Paul's counter to that is that he has a sense that God and his purpose in this world and his grace and his beauty and his mission and his calling is so much bigger than him, greater than him. See, Paul's aspirational goal is not to be the special, right? Paul didn't set out to say, I'm going to be the greatest missionary of all time. He didn't do that. He aspired to be a slave to Christ, not his own. And he sets that out, even setting Timothy as that example. And he says, this is who we should aspire to be as Christians. Now, secondly, that we can find just in the first kind of couple verses here. 
Christians should, so that was the first point, we should aspire to be slaves to Christ. Secondly, Christians should remember that they are saints in Christ. We should remember that we are saints in Christ. Now let's go back to the text here for a moment. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, that is the sender. It says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls them saints. What does saints mean? We're doing a lot of Greek today, but the Greek word for saints is uh, the word hagios. Or it derives, I should say, derives from that word. And essentially what it means is just holy ones. Literally what it means is holy ones. Saints. Now it's a little confusing to us because the Roman Catholic Church has used this term saints to describe an entire class of people. Like, you know, there's like St. Peter, you know, there's saint, like they, they uh, put people into this saint category saying that they are holier than other people. But in the Bible, that's not the way that the word saint is used. In fact, um, Paul never calls us Christians. He always calls us saints. Well, almost always calls us saints. That's his word of choice. Holy ones. What does that mean? What does he mean by that? Um, so we'll just look at a, a one passage here, 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. So that's the same word there. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So he has called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. For Paul, all believers are saints chosen by God before the foundation of the world, destined to be holy. Now we'll talk about that, kind of how that plays out and what that means a little bit more, um, I think, next week. But really quickly, we'll, let's just look at Philippians 3. Philippians 3.8 says this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, what Paul wants to go for here. This surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus is to find this righteousness not of his own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So the righteousness that we have, it's not a, you know, it's not that we're supposed to be, when he uses the word saints, he's not basing it on saying that, oh, because you are like such a good person. He's saying, no, you're saints by virtue of belief in Christ. He wants to remind them of that. It's interesting that Paul puts himself in the lowly position. He says, I'm a slave of Christ. You are saints in Christ. And in fact, just a little bit of background on the, on the church at Philippi. So the, the church at Philippi is the first church, the first church plant in uh, Europe. 
essentially. This is a Roman colony. And the first three people, at least in Scripture from Acts 16, that we know that are part of this church was uh, a woman named Lydia, who is kind of a, a wealthy merchant or you know, presumably wealthy merchant. She traded in purple cloth. A slave girl who's demon-possessed. And then the Philippian jailer. There's the story of the Philippian jailer. There's an earthquake when uh, Paul and Silas are in jail. And then they can escape, but they don't. And the Philippian jailer is about to kill himself, basically, because he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, lose my job or worse because of what's happened here. And they tell him to stop. And then they share the gospel with him. And then he goes. they go back to Lydia's house. And they basically st- – and then they leave. That's the church in Philippi. And you know what's crazy about the church in Philippi? One of the reasons that Paul doesn't claim his apostleship and he calls himself a slave is because what's interesting about this letter is that there's no real issue here. Like in a lot of the other letters, like Corinthians, the Corinthian church has all these problems. You know, the Ephesian church is like two different cultures coming together. Galatians is dealing with these this sect of, you know, religious people who are like, Uh, going against the gospel here in Philippians, he's basically just um, like commending them. And then he's not speaking to any specific issue based on these people, these three people, they built the church. Paul calls them saints. If you're in Christ, you are a saint. You are a holy one. Like, do you recognize the power of that notion? One, that you are completely free from the punishment of sin, from the penalty of sin because of Christ. But secondly, that God is moving you toward a holy destiny. Like, that is what he is doing in you. That is part of, that is your calling. That's who you're meant to be, to grow in holiness as you've already been declared. That's your identity and calling. Okay, now finally, let's go back to the text. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So here's the third point. So first, we should aspire to be slaves to Christ. Second, we should remember that we are saints in Christ because of what Christ has done. Thirdly, Christians should rejoice in gospel partnership, which is gospel fellowship. Now, here he, he strikes this note. He's like saying, I have this tremendous joy towards God. Like, I'm so thankful for you guys. And he thanks them because of their partnership. Now, we'll get into what that, what that actually entailed. Basically, he shows that, he, he says later on in the letter, but they were incredibly generous to him. They sent this gift to him when he was in prison. You know, they, they have been supporting him from the beginning. Just to look at the idea, like, what does gospel partnership mean? So here's the third Greek word for the day. But the word partnership, the word that is translated partnership there is the word koinonia, 
which is actually the word that's typically translated in the church, if you're familiar with this at all, fellowship. So usually we translate this word as fellowship. Uh, what it means, kind of the way it's used in Paul's time, is it can describe a variety of relationships and includes uh, mutual interests and sharing. So anytime anyone entered into a certain kind of relationship, so marriage, family relationships, friendships, business partnerships, common ownership of property, they would, these are examples of koinonia. However, uh, according to you know, some commentators, well, one commentator noted this, the heart of true fellow fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. So in Philippians, koinonia refers to gospel-centered friendship as well as gospel-centered mission, like missional gospel proclamation. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he noted in um, his book, Four Loves, he said, friendships are discovered this way. Like the way you discover friendship is when you say, oh, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Right? So, you know, oh, you're a, you're a nerd too? I thought I was the only one. You, you like, you know, this food too? I thought I was the only one. Right? You like golf too? I thought I was the only one. You, um, you know, can't stand your spouse sometimes? I thought I was the only one. Um, not speaking from personal experience, obviously. That was just hypothetically for anybody out there. That goes without saying. But, you know, like, whatever this kind, whatever this is. Oh, you, oh, you struggle with this or you struggle or you like this, you like that. I thought I was the only one. But he says, C.S. Lewis notes, gospel friendships are meant to be much deeper because there's a you too. <laughs> I'm just realizing it sounds like the band, you too. But, you know, you also, right? Like you also, that is radically deeper. Because it's based on the commonality of a common savior and a common mission and a common purpose. So he's saying what's supposed to be there, gospel partnerships are supposed to be this, there is supposed to be this deepness, this richness that's there. And the way that it's translated, the way that Paul, he rejoices in this, right? Like he's so happy about this because they have this gospel partnership. See, it's important because we take, have taken this word fellowship and we've kind of messed it up. Like the way that we use it, the way that we talk about it, because it could basically mean anything. I'm not saying the venue needs to be particular, like, oh, okay, only if you're sitting in a Bible study context, you know, that's like fellowship, or only if you're in a prayer or a missional context, that's fellowship. I'm not saying that, because really it can be in any context. However, to think that it is not those things is kind of ironically the opposite of what the Bible is saying. Right To think that there's something ha like when you worship together, there's something happening, but there's no fellowship happening. Fellowship happens only afterward when you're eating together or something like that. That is nonsensical. True gospel fellowship, true gospel fellowship 
and what's being to kind of synthesize what we've talked about today. True gospel fellowship is when broken sinners who have been declared saints in Christ aspire together to live as slaves for Christ for the sake of the gospel of Christ. I'll say that again. True gospel fellowship is when broken sinners who have been declared saints in Christ aspire together to live as slaves to Christ for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Our culture is... I think maybe now more than ever, kind of obsessed with fun distractions. Um, statistically, this is kind of an old statistic, so I remember, I, or I wonder if it's actually much higher now, but we check our smartphones once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives. We check our smartphones every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives, which means you've probably checked or either, you've either checked or been tempted to check your phone at least about 10 times during service so far. Now, um, I don't know if any of you guys are on TikTok. It's a little bit, I think the, the target demographic is a little bit younger than we are. But, um, and I'm not, but I was, I was curious to see like what TikTok, TikTok is all about, right? Because it's like blowing up, you know, with the young people. And so, you know, I just checked out, I checked out some videos. And um, honestly, um, you know, it's not like my thing, but I get it, right? It's just a bunch of, like short clips of people either like dancing or lip syncing or there's like these kind of editing tricks or like magic tricks type stuff that people do, you know, or there are these challenges where one person's doing something on one half of the screen and another person's doing something on another half of the screen. It's like, and it's fun and it's funny and it's kind of like, it's, or it's cute, you know, there's like kids on it or pets on it or whatever. And I mean, I, I, I kind of get it. It captures, for the most part, what I think most of us are trying to fill our days with. Just these random things, like frivolous things that we're filling our time with, whether that's watching something, whether that's just going on social media and checking things. And it seems like that's basically all we're tempted to do right now, just like, you know, play little games on our phones and check out little videos and, and do these things. And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. But I will note um, a couple things. I will, I will say something, particularly for those of you who are in Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian and you kind of don't know where you stand before God, I will say this in light of what Paul's saying. There's going to be a certain deeper connection that might be lacking for you. You know, like what Christ is, what Jesus invites us into, the kind of connection and community that he invites us into isn't one that's based on that kind of superficiality. It will go into deeper parts of our, our lives. And if for believers and non-believers, of course, we can certainly have friendships and relationships, but there will be some kind of deeper connection that's lacking. But of course, this connection is available and Christ wants to offer it to all of us. So if, if any of us are uncertain about where we stand, Jesus really is saying, hey, I want to invite you into this deep gospel fellowship, right? This powerful gospel fellowship. And if you would like more information on that, please contact me personally. I would love to talk to you about it. 
But for those of us who are in Christ, if you feel a lacking in your deeper relationships and in your sense of community, I want to offer the possibility that one of the reasons that you might be missing out on true gospel fellowship is because you're obsessed with fun or funny or cute or sensational. It's like a kid in a toy store that can't pick a toy, you know, because the toy on the shelf always looks better than the toy in his hand. So that's my slight, that's a warning about the elevation of the frivolous. I actually, um, I'm going to close with this, but I actually stumbled upon this, um, this YouTube channel of a guy named Leonardo Torres Music. <laughs> this is super random because this guy is like like less than 50,000 subscribers, you know, but it popped up on my on my YouTube recommendation. So I was like, oh, what is this? Right. And what it was was it's it's a it says non-Christian reacts to basically like Christian music. So, you know, that song, a um, hundred billion I don't even know what is the oh so will I that's what the title of the song is but you know the the hundred billion galaxies like that song the Hillsong song so it's this guy he's not Christian and he's reacting to this song and I was so curious to see what his reaction would be and so he's watching this video and I don't know if you guys have have seen this but I I actually kind of I encourage you to check it out and the song's going on and there's this there's this line in that song I don't I'm not even super familiar with this song but there's a line that says, as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. You know, and it's obviously, it's referring to God and it's referring to kind of creation. And this non-Christian guy, he has this face, this reaction, like, what the heck was that? Like, what was that idea that was just floated in the song? Like, what was that notion that just came out of the mouth of this singer? Like, his, his mind is exploding in this reaction. And he just starts, as the song goes on to describe God and creation and his love, He just starts breaking down. This dude's crying. He's just overwhelmed with emotion. And he is like weeping on this reaction, a non-Christian reacting to worship music. And then at the end, he, he basically shares a testimony. He says he talks about when he used to go out to the desert and he would look up into the sky and he would see all the stars and he would have this sense of feeling so small. And yet he's a part of it. So he feels like he's big because he's a part of it. But then he's so, he feels so small. It's like this sense of awe and wonder that comes over him. And when he heard that line in the song, it hit him. And I'm watching this guy cry. This young man who is being broken by the privilege of worshiping a God that he doesn't even know yet. And I say yet because <laughs> I see like he's on the path. And I'm thinking, 
Do we recognize that privilege that we have at any given moment? Because that's, that's my, that's my warning. When Paul elevates the idea of being a slave to Christ as a life aspiration, as something we should aspire to, like not to be great in the eyes of men, when he actually says being a slave to Christ is to be free from the way that anyone else would define you, that's actually what it means. I mean, he says that in Galatians, like, do you think I'm doing this to please men? If I were trying to please men, I wouldn't be trying to please God. Like, I wouldn't be in a pot. I wouldn't be a slave to Christ. He says, that's, that's who I aspire to be because I am a saint in Christ. Because of Christ. Now, what, do we recognize what that means to be able to engage in that together, in that gospel partnership, that that is true gospel fellowship, not the funnest thing? But that you have this privilege to be able to together as declared saints strive for slavery in Christ? That that is a beautiful thing, that that is a powerful thing, that that is a gift of God given to the church and his people. My warning would be when we elevate the frivolous, we inevitably end up demeaning that which is truly glorious. I assure you, church, there is so much more in the beauty of the gospel to be beheld than what we often settle for. And I hope that as we go through this letter, we can discover the beauty of these things that Paul is introducing. Aspire to be a slave to Christ. Remember that you are a saint in Christ. And together, let's strive for gospel partnerships for the sake of Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for all that we are given in you. We thank you that in you, we are free from having to live at the whim of the judgment of people. That is such an oppressive and a debilitating slavery, God, uh, to having to feel like we have to prove ourselves at any given moment, uh, to feel as though we have to validate our worth. And in you, we are completely free from that, Jesus. To be a slave to you is to be free from uh, the judgment of men is to be free from really the opinions of the world, God. To be free from the penalty of sin, to be free from the power of sin, to be free to 
to enjoy the gospel together with others who have been freed and who are living out that freedom. Uh, would you teach us that, God? Would you help us to grow in that? Would you lead us deeper into that as we continue to daily strive to know you through your word and through prayer and as we go through this series together as a church? We really entrust it to you, Holy Spirit. We thank you so much. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.